Welcome to yesterday's news today! January the 16th, 1903. President T. Roosevelt shuts down post office in Mississippi for refusing to accept its appointed postmistress. On the 12th of January, we saw the release of Thomas A. Edison's motion picture, Electrocuting an Elephant. The beast was put to death earlier this month in front of hordes of spectators at Coney Island. Bishop Stone Wig addressed the Sydney Domain this week, speaking of his experience of living with New Guinea cannibals. Harry Houdini performed at the Rembrandt Theatre in Amsterdam, and days later demonstrated his powers by escaping from the local jail. And finally, Lieutenant Governor Tillman has shot and wounded political rival and newspaper editor Mr. Gonzalez, but his injuries have been greatly exaggerated. Hello and welcome to Yesterday's News Today. I'm Shane, and we're doing the week of January 16th, 1903, and I'm sitting here with Johnny. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Well, we should explain the premise. Yeah, yeah. Back to our old. Uh, pl- we introduce. We'll explain every week. This is every podcast is somebody's first podcast. Isn't that right? Yeah. Whoops. So our. Co- <laughs> um, I always introduce it. You do it this time. <laughs> Basically, we look at interesting stories from years past and try to work our way through a hundred years of modern history. But one year at a time, and we take each week we land on when we do the podcast, we uh, take that week in history. And this week it's fallen on 1903, so we cover January 16th, 1903. The third week of the third year. Um. Also, we, we upload this on a Friday. January the 16th, 1903 actually yeah. fell on a Friday. Ah, very good. So we're... For the first time in sync with the day. Yeah, but well, like only took three three episodes to get in sync with the day, so that's not bad. We'll be back here and again in about fourteen episodes or something. Um, to- well, it depends. It kind of works in a sequence of like five, six, seven, and twelve, I think. So oh, I don't right. know. Like, if five years ago this day fell on a Saturday or on a Friday, then seven years from there it'll fall on a Friday as well, and then eleven from there and twelve from there. Oh, okay. And then it just starts again. So like 12 years at most, every it's 12 like, years yeah. you're bound to, it's like the, have you ever heard of the doomsday, doomsday quote, doomsday rule, yeah, with yeah. dates, it's this thing that like the 4th of the 4th, 6th of the 6th, 8th of the 8th and 12th of the 12th will all fall on the same day each year. Oh, right, okay. Not wow. like it, not like every year they'll fall on a Saturday, but like if this year, and I think it's, I think um, in 2015 it's a Saturday. So the 4th of the 4th is going to be a Saturday, which means the 6th of the 6th. Will also be a Saturday. Yeah, and the 8th of the 8th ah, and the 12th okay. of the 12th. So Mad. by figuring out one day, you can then find out what day, every date of the year is going to fall on. So back to our calendar discussions yeah. from episode one. <laughs> the funny thing is that like, I know that that's a thing, but still, if you were to say, because the way it works, you could say, oh, what day is the 8th of February going to fall on? And you're meant to be able to work it out by knowing oh, that. Yeah. But I'm not good enough at maths to do it on the spot. So, So yeah, our first story... In our headlines there was President Theodore Roosevelt shut down a post office in Mississippi in Indianola. But as I went in and investigated the actual true story, wasn't shut down. It was downgraded. But I'll give you a bit of background into the characters involved and that kind of stuff. There was Minnie M. Cox, who was the postmaster. And she was first, or she was first appointed as postmaster in 1891 by President Benjamin Harris, and she was a huge, her and her husband were big supporters of the Republican Party, and she ended up just happening to happen to have been the most qualified person working in the post office, and so naturally he was just promoted to the postmaster. Yeah. And seems, she, seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah, and she held, she held the position for six years, and then was reappointed by President uh, McKinley in 1897, and then continued to be postmaster under Theodore 
uh, Roosevelt. Can I stop for a second? Because yeah. how like how big of a job is postmaster? This is what okay. I'm, this is where I'm going with right. this. In the Indianola position of postmaster was one of the most respected and lu- uh, lucrative public posts in the area, as it served approximately three thousand patrons, and the annual pay was one thousand one hundred dollars a year, which is quite That's, high yeah. for the time. And Miss uh, Cox was well known for her efficiency and dedication to the job. And she was a true believer in the Republican government. And she was one of these people who always like took out flyering whenever there was elections on and all that kind of stuff. She was very involved in the Republican Party yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Had a lot of support. And on the 1st of January, 1903, so a couple of weeks back, I'm being a little bit flexible with the dates here. I know yeah. we're doing the 16th, but that's when the story would have been coming into the public eye and that kind of stuff. Listen so. to last week's episode when we explain why we get to do that. Yeah, we're just flexible. <laughs> um, the white townspeople of Indianola began calling meetings and voted to order Miss Cox to resign from her f- office by January 1st, uh, 1903. Although her commission did not end until a year from that date in 1904, she refused to step down prior to the end of her term. Miss Cox made it known that she would not make herself a candidate for a reappointment. And that was her, like, compromise of, oh, you don't want me? Well, let me finish out my term and I won't yeah. go for the job again then, you bunch of racists. You know? <laughs> she and, would, uh, and she's, like, being far too reasonable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I was like, it's, I've, I'm, reading, I'm reading an article here I got from the postalmuseum.si.edu forward slash African American history. Uh, and it was really, really great website, very accurate, had really good profiles of really interesting characters who worked with the Postal Service through the years. So I'll give you a little bit more from that. So the, situ- the, the situation in Indianola began to deteriorate further as the white citizens began to resent her and her husband more and more for their prosperity and success. It became clear that she was in physical danger because she wasn't complying with their requests to step down. So it was like pure bald-faced jealousy of like yeah, this yeah. woman has more money than me and she's black and that's not fair and which is crazy i know it's 1903 but still i'll give you a quote here these threats concerned postal inspector charles fitzgerald who suggested that as a quote as a bona fide federal officer miss cox should be protected by federal troops if necessary in the discharge discharge of her duties so president roosevelt made it clear that there would be no need for federal troops and refused to accept mrs cox miss cox's resignation he instead suspended the post office on the 2nd of january 1903 and he made it clear to the citizens that mail would be rerouted until miss cox could be could resume her duties so sorry i said he didn't close it also he closed it temporarily right. and then after that the atmosphere became so hostile that she had to escape the town, like, in secret. On the 5th of January, she kind of, like, snuck out of town with her husband and stuff. So in response to the town's actions, Theodore Roosevelt ordered the Attorney General to prosecute the citizens who had uh, threatened her. Sorry, I'm stumbling over my speech here a little bit. Then they reduced the rank and the importance of the post office from a third-class post office to a fourth-class on the grounds that a year's lower postal receipts did not warrant third class status i don't really follow what they did there but they basically punished the townspeople by giving them a less efficient postal service for for, for well, being uh, horrible people <laughs> really and was it like um, actually the majority of the town that shared this view like it seemed to be from what i can see a prominent white town i take it yeah yeah it was debated for four hours in the senate 
The Cleveland Gazette reported in February 7th that Miss Minnie Cox, postmistress of Indianola, a faithful and efficient official driven from office by southern white brutes, (laughs) is their uh, explanation. But it just kind of seems that it was just really obvious jealousy from, and I guarantee you it was probably the more upper class people who were probably earning close to the money she was, but not quite the same. I doubt it was like the hardworking coal miners or <laughs> people working in fields who... Yeah, well, uh, where did you, it was Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. I mean, it yeah, could have yeah. just been everybody. It could have like, just been everyone. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, yeah. Um, I just I just find it a really interesting story that like the president had to step in and go like, guys, stop being racist. But I guess, uh, like you were saying, she was uh, had campaigned for the Republican Party. Yeah, and, like, yeah. He'd she, have been pretty... If he didn't, he'd have been... No, he probably been, knew who she was. Yeah. In terms of, he probably met her, shook her hand once at a, a speech yeah, or a, yeah, yeah. on a tour or something, you know. He'd kind of have to. And I'm sure being a, a Republican, he would, he would have been, like, Republicans of the time were fighting against racism, so. But anyway, yeah, so I, I just thought that was an interesting story. I thought I'd bring it into uh, today's episode. But, like, the headline just kind of gives the impression of, like, the president standing outside the post office going, I'm sorry, it's closed today. Because <laughs> you're all racist, you know, and it's just... I might have heard this wrong, but did you say at the start that, like, she was... Did you say something about her being appointed in the first place by... Oh, she did the um, No, by... Or McKinley. Yeah, it's kind of... But every postmaster is, if you know what I mean. But they're not... So they're not actually directly... He just signed... Somebody gave him the document and he just signed... Oh, yeah, it's like someone senior in the post office goes, oh, here's the list of postmasters for this year for your appointment yeah, and then yeah. they go oh yes of course you know. so like yeah the president doesn't oversee the actual like hiring <laughs> no because so. that's when you said at the start that's why i asked like how big of a job was this <laughs> yeah um well, well it still sounds it'd be big. the postmaster is it's be your signature beyond official documents anything that goes through that post office is yeah. you're the postmaster for that whole area and yeah i guess so, at the time it's the only form of communication really so you're well, it's the, probably the most common. I mean, there's obviously... And even through the post office at the time would have been... Um, sorry, completely drawn a blank. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's not like the, wi- the the wire was in every home or anything. So no, so yeah. The, you, the... you would have gone to the post office to send letters and wires. Yeah. Uh, and so all of that would have gone through post office and she'd have been the boss, the manager, so, respons- but responsible so it really, for all that. But so it really is the centre of communication at this point still. Like, yeah. radio still hasn't... Hasn't taken off. No, so. no, not at all. So, despite our entrance, we we really should have like uh, a guy with a bell saying like "Hurry, hurry!" Like down the news, reading the wires from the post office. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, or something like that. Because yeah, historically, we're not being accurate with having a, a newsreel at this period. No, our our, our newsreel is more uh, the style of more twenties, I think. But yeah. No, yeah. So she it was a very senior job in the post office, but no, it's not like every president came down and went, I'm making you this or anything. But, <laughs> but the, just the bizarre thing for me is that she did the job for like 12 years before, it before they were like, uh, you have to quit because you're black. Yeah, but I'm sure there was another instigator in that. Like there there was probably some incident that happened completely unrelated to her and there was like, there was racial tensions already in that yeah. town or some new, like we even, we'll have stuff coming up again in this See, actually, even yeah. in this episode, with like there'll be some other governor somewhere who is calling for lynchings or something, yeah, yeah. and it just brought this on. Got people worked up into a frenzy. 
like in South Park, yeah. rabble, 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 like something like that. But it's mad, like going through just a little bit about uh, Minnie Cox. She was. It's a great like, name, too. Yeah, it is a brilliant name. She graduated from Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, and obtained a teacher's certificate. So it's like, that was part of the reason she was basically the only person in the post office who had like a college degree. <laughs> so when it came to like, oh, who do we make postmaster? Oh, well, the most educated person. And then there's just somebody in the background going, but she's black. <laughs> like, no, uh, well, it doesn't matter to us. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. What age was she at this point? She was born in 1869. Oh, so, old, thir- so early 30s. She died in 1933. They were both poli- uh, politically active and supported the Republican Party. It was because of this support that Miss Cox was appointed postmaster. So she so probably she was probably a big campaigner, like and probably yeah, she, like I'm sure so, she probably took part in her fair share of activism too like and that's probably why they targeted her because not only was this a black woman but it was a black woman who was powerful and who was supporting other black people and she was like campaigning for the republican party who are also campaigning for black so like just a bunch of reasons to it it all all comes together as a well the thing back then though it wasn't even it wasn't so much your um party alignment more like your actual region where you were like if you were down south yeah. and were a democrat it meant something else than being north and being a democrat yes yeah, it was more you were you were whatever suited your town or your area yeah. your state so i really want to hear uh, about thomas edison's uh electrocuting an elephant his master's piece of a film yeah, yeah <laughs> um, his, his motion picture this is kind of out out there anyway it's a popular enough have you heard mention of it anywhere before no no i know nothing about it actually. like the the really short version of it is that thomas edison electrocuted an elephant at coney island in 1904 on january 4th to prove the uh, dangers of alternating current oh right okay and that was is that, this like the whole ac versus dc kind of yeah thing? yeah he was direct current so he wanted but he used alternate alternating current to kill show topsy to show oh, yeah. how dangerous it was Topsy the Elephant, what a yeah. great name for And, elephant. like, you know, he'd done it a few times. Edison was travelling around the country, fucking killing elephants and dogs and chimpanzees <laughs> and stray cats just to show <laughs> how dangerous it was. And this is, this is what my competitors want you to use as your electricity. Look how dangerous it is. <laughs> yeah, that's at least the version that's most commonly told, but there is a bit more to it than that. But more, like, it's a very quick story if it's just about the elephant <laughs> being executed. Which, you know, that sounds really funny just to say it, but, like, have you seen the video? No. It's on YouTube. I feel like you should watch At the end of it, maybe, you should watch it. Yeah, you, um, you, you explained the story there. Am I actually going to find it? Well, so, to give some background on... Because Topsy, her story... Actually, like, it'd be a really good... It'd be a really good history book to write about Topsy as, like, a window into, like, different things from the time. Because, you know, she, like, travelled with different circuses and then ended up at Coney Island in the fairs there. And, you know, the whole thing with Edison and the the War of Currents. Could be just a good window into all these different elements of history. Yeah, so she, she had an adventurous life. She was a Southeast Asian elephant, and she was captured pretty much... She captured, like, in the in 1870, 1875, just... You know, she just born, captured as a baby by uh, this guy, Adam Forpaw. And he's... Great name. <laughs> he was just, like... A, Circus tycoon is it, I don't know if that's what you call him at the time, but you know he had yeah a big circus or maybe a few, but he smuggled her into America, and his gimmick was she was the the first elephant born in America. Oh right, 
Well, she wasn't. She was. Like That's what they claimed. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. But pretty much straight away, there's a a guy who will pop up throughout. He's featured in a lot of these type of stories. P.T. Barnum. He was what Vince McMahon is in wrestling. This guy was in you know, freak shows and circuses oh, okay. and everything. Like he just had his hand in there. I guess more like. Uh, I'm blanking on modern names. He was the big. But he's the guy who showed up at your farm and went, I hear your son has three arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can make money for him. Yeah, he'd make money out of every, anything. Like, But yeah, so he was at, uh, he was warring with this for Pa guy. So a lot of guys warring throughout this story. And yeah, like he outed him, you know, because he didn't want anybody else making money. And the only reason I mentioned him is because he would pop up in other stuff later. And what was it? Tesla was his uh, competitor? Tesla, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, was, it wasn't just Tesla, oh, really. Other... Yeah, well, it was, Tesla was the one who, like, he, he was behind the technology, but it was George Westinghouse that was, like, ah, his okay. barker. Like, that, it was, Tesla worked for Edison, and... Oh, originally, he, I remember hearing that before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, like, Edison promised him, like, you know, 50 grand to uh, come up with direct current, like, well, whatever, the, he, he had the, the theory of it, and he needed Tesla to work on it, and he promised him, like, or even more, like... I don't know what the money was, but let's say it was 50 grand. And so Tesla spent months working on this. And when yeah. he got it, showed it to Tesla or showed it to Edison as Edison was happy. And then Tesla like asked him about his money. And Edison just goes, oh, my friend, you don't understand American humor. And I, was <laughs> and I never paid him. And so, the more I hear about Edison, the more I hear he was just a big dick. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he stole patents because he used to work in the patent office. If people sent in patents for interesting inventions, because he, he's credited, I think, originally with inventing the radio. Oh, look, the funny thing is, have you like, heard that story? Yeah, like, and but he didn't. He just got. A, he was working in the patent office. But it wasn't so much like Edison actually didn't like steal credit for a lot of this stuff. People just attributed yeah. it to him. Like yeah, he just but like he owned like you know he had he had the Edison Electric Company and stuff. And so yeah. if if you were employed by them and invented something. Probably while work, it was pretty much like communist Russia. If you yeah. made something while working there, it belonged to the company. But that goes for a lot of companies nowadays. If you so, work for, say, Google and you write some, yeah, exactly. You, you write code for Google; they own it, not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you might come up with some amazing software or amazing app while working there. But if yeah, you well, do not work at time, it's theirs. You know, if you're create a new character in a Batman comic, you don't walk away. You can't then go to Marvel with your character like no, DC, DC own now that, own that character. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so and you were talking about uh, uh, quite a, a racist story just before that. Uh, Topsy was named after the uh, slave girl from Uncle Tom's cabin, oh, okay. so, which is funny considering like the idea of like just going to Southeast Asia and kidnapping a baby elephant and make, bringing it home and making it perform in a circus, and you name it after a slave in a novel that was denounced slavery. It's very yeah. weird. <laughs> was it so, meant to be some kind of ironic humor or something? Oh yeah, and Uncle Tom's Cabin, the book, like, is an yeah. anti-slavery novel. People always associate because the films where people performed in blackface and that. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. if you Uncle Tom is like yeah. in uh, Samuel Jackson in Django, people would call it an Uncle yeah, Tom. Yeah, he's an Uncle Tom. That's what he's preferred as. Yeah, yeah or yeah. it's not preferred, uh, referred to as. But it's always considered like it's un- kinda like Uncle Tom's Cabin is this racist piece of work. But the, it's not in terms of literature. It's the opposite. Oh, only in film. Yeah. Anyway, with Topsy, um, in 1902, she was in this guy for Paul's circus. I can't remember his his the name of his circus, but whatever. And this guy wandered into her tent drunk. 
like it was you know not the circus tent but the tent that housed all the animals or like they had quite a few elephants and he was trying to get the elephants to drink whiskey and he got to topsy and topsy was having none of it so his (laughs) salute he burnt her with a cigarette then yeah and (laughs) topsy killed him as like fair enough yeah yeah she stamped on his head apparently you know, straight away reports were exaggerated that she like killed twelve people and all this. And she was <laughs> of the course, man killer elephant. Well, like it, apparently, like she got really, she was had a temper anyway. There was rumors that she had killed a, a, a two trainers or something, yeah. and all to get. And before she came with this circus, she had killed another twelve people. But like the only record, like she did injure a trainer in Paris, but. There's no record. It's of the it only yet. official record of it. Yeah. yeah, but when you read this story online, most places will say it because they'll just give it in bullet points and they'll mention she killed three people, a drunk, and two trainers. Yeah, but there's no record of her killing any trainers. Just the the only record is her killing this drunk guy. Oh right, okay. who uh, definitely deserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fact that he just wandered in there. The fact I that he could wander in there is. Bad. Yeah. Well, n- nobody should be preventing you from walking into a, a tent full of elephants because you should know better. It's like yeah, <laughs> like that guy in India there a few months back who got into with the the white tiger and it killed him. <laughs> and everybody was like, "Oh, the the zoo should be sued. He shouldn't have been able to get in there." It's like you should know not to get into a cage with tigers. Nobody should be preventing you from doing that. You should just know if they yeah. let the tiger out and it attacked you on a sidewalk. <laughs> That's the that then it's their fault. Yeah, but no matter how easy it was for you to you get in there, if you, you could have get to in, even put up a sign that says "absolutely danger not. tiger, do not climb into cage." Absolutely not. It's like the thing of like having hot coffee written on a coffee cup. So after that, even though she only killed one guy who deserved it, but she got a reputation in the media. Yeah, so for Paul had to sell sell her on, and he sold her to Paul Boyton. He's the freak show guy, yeah. Oh, okay. No, the, that was a uh, PT Burnham. No, he was just. I only mentioned him because he was in a just to give some historical context. He, him, and for Paul just had this rivalry, not unlike oh, okay. Edison and Tesla. Tesla, yeah, or but, uh, Westinghouse. But you know, circus was the big entertainment of of the time, especially in America, anyway. But no, so this is a different guy. This is Paul Boyton. He had a park in Coney Island, Sea Line Park. Actually, I think he was like a. I think he was a Kilkenny man. I could oh, be yeah. completely wrong in that, but he de- he's definitely Irish somehow. But he had like he got famous. He he had this suit that worked as like a raft. It was like a full body blow up suit, and he sailed <laughs> in inflatable. It. Yeah, suit. yeah, and he like broke you know broke records and stuff. And he became he was an attraction. He was just this weird adventure. I, we could do an entire episode on him. He's mental. He's great. Uh, okay, we will. One that we'll, <laughs> we'll find a. Uh... <laughs> A year and a date that's relevant to bring yeah. up some story about him and we'll do a whole thing of him. But so he started a, a park uh, and he called it Sea Line Park because uh, suits with what he was doing. Is Coney Island, that's pr- a pretty well established. Everybody knows what Coney Island is, yeah? I think so, yeah. I don't, but yeah. It's <laughs> an attraction area. I know there's like roller coasters and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. and it's like just a peninsula outside New York. It's a leisure destination. Yep. In the Atlantic Ocean, essentially, on well, borough of Brooklyn. Yeah, apparently it was Coney. The word Coney comes from rabbits. Conigen or Conigen is yeah. the Dutch word for rabbit, and yeah. the Dutch discovered it. But then there's also Captain uh, another Irish guy, Captain O'Connor, might have discovered it. We're Irish, 
so I should know this, but the Irish word for rabbit is something very similar. Uh, yeah. Coney, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Coney. Uh, I'm just Coney. <laughs> I'm just saying stupid. Just say it in your best Irish I was going to say Coneve, but like, it's probably like Cone. Cone. It's probably actually. It's probably it's Conan. Conan. Conan or so, Conan, Conan sounds, or something. Yeah, yeah, it's probably yeah. Conan. But because there's a there's a Coney Island and Sligo Bay. Oh, okay. <laughs> again, like we nothing like the one off. <laughs> but how is nobody? Yeah. How is nobody so so money in that? Like build a team park on Coney Island and or Sligo Bay. Spend a bench from a from a crane. Like <laughs> although I have no idea how big the Sligo Bay coney island is like it's probably like a mile <laughs> yeah at most <laughs> but yeah like coney island off new york is huge but that became a big destination in 1940 because it was really close to new york yeah. but it was far enough away to seem like a holiday you can see why it'd become a big thing it was also horrible like there was part there was like pickpockets and prostitutes and it was known as being really sleazy there was some bishop of new york who talked about he I, he called it like sodom of the sea you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Talk about how, like, you know, it was a place where women would act like men, and which seems to be applying like women being promiscuous, yeah, <laughs> like being rowdy. But that was like they, that. they were seeking sex. Yeah. yeah, But that was on one side of it, on the west side, and then like on the east side, you had hotels, and they were policed. Not quite, not just for the rich, but like middle class. Although I guess there wasn't a middle class then. But either way, like the the east side of it was quite quite fancy. That's where like it had like carousel wheels, um, and that, that's like the the first carousel wheel. I'm gonna. I, I did a quick uh, search on Coney Island Sligo here, just to give you some facts while you're talking there. Right, huh? the island is one and a half miles long and a three quarter mile across, and it's between Ross's Point and Ben Bulben in the north and Strand Hill. Now, here's the thing: is the history of it is. This is the original Coney Island, which gives its name to the American Coney Island. In Gaelic, the name means the Island of Rabbits. In the last century, a merchant ship used to sail between Sligo and New York. The captain of the ship, observing many rabbits in the New York Island, named it after his own Coney Island of Sligo Bay. Or so the story goes. Uh, I'm going to hope that one's true, but it's yeah. probably not. <laughs> this is on the island's own website, so... For Strand Hill in Sligo, the whole uh, tourist destination website. That's what they claim. Yeah. So. I hope that one. That, that sounds we, much you know better. What? But I have a good feeling it was like Henry Hudson. We'll take a road trip down there someday and do a podcast the, from yeah. Coney Island. I like as well that I know more. Or, or well, more. I don't know much. Period. But I like that I know less about Ireland, Ireland in Ireland than... <laughs> like I know about why Coney Island in New York got its name or one <laughs> yeah, possible yeah. reason but no that's a good guess with the mile though yeah I'd yeah, like yeah. to go there but how is not like that still sounds big enough to put a, a small small to medium sized amusement park in there ah yeah should you we start put, should we start a kickstarter like, I think we should yeah definitely especially in Sligo we'll um, go down and survey it and we'll do a podcast <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, west side was quite... Still, every, everybody could go to Coney Island. It was close, but east side was th where things were happening. That's actually where they had this thing called the Elephantine Colossus. I have to show you a picture of this, actually, because this is... Oh, is this the... It's the, like a big statue of an elephant. It's not actually a statue. It's, it's like a, a cafe. Or it's a hotel. Like, it's, it's a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's... Like, it's big. It was, like, ten stories or something. Like, it was huge. It used to be when you were... If you were sailing into New York... Yeah. That used to be what you saw. 
uh, before, before the, the Statue of Liberty. Liberty yeah. yeah, like it was massive, but it didn't. So I've seen pictures of it before. Yeah, yeah. And we put them up. Um, it burnt down in eighteen ninety six. So it was just a shame because it did look. It looks creepy as hell. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so, and like you know. Hot dogs got their start in Coney Island. They weren't called oh, hot dogs, but they also like they had rides like the like freak freak shows would have been there too, like we talked about. And also they had like a, a steam powered elevator. That was a, a big ride. Can you imagine wow. a world where going up in an elevator was fun? <laughs> Brilliant, that's a tourist attraction. Although if I saw there was, you a know what? We should put one on Coney Island. <laughs> it's like yeah, if we just have Coney, because that's let's be honest, like as we just put in a two story building with an elevator. <laughs> Like a B&B built like an elephant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where we record podcasts. And also this, because Thomas Edison, uh, just occurred to me now, but like Thomas Edison's films, like the, uh, what the, Kinescope, isn't that? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, he did, you know, they'd have Edison films would play there on the Kinescope, yeah. the all his first films and one of them was like waves at Coney Island and stuff so he pops up in the story even earlier than the execution Coney Island it's worth mentioning because it's very important like it's essentially what kind of took America out of the Victorian and gas lamp era into the modern world it was the Chicago World's Fair in 1893 that sort of spawned this yeah. sort of culture and when you think of the World's Fair maybe it's more so the one in what nineteen thirty. You know the one oh, that like, did the world of tomorrow. And yeah, all that yeah. Stuff. yeah. But like the nature of those fairs was about the future and look of what insane, crazy stuff we can do. There yeah. is some crazy rides they had there. Like they had a, a human roulette wheel. <laughs> Where, like, and it is like it's exactly what you just pictured in your head. <laughs> like you don't even need to see footage of it. It is like what a roulette wheel in a Vegas casino. Only it spins faster. And you strap and people into it. You don't even strap them in it. <laughs> people just lie down in it and clatter to get. I swear to God, it's insane. Now they probably wouldn't have been too fast because they weren't. It wasn't. They weren't. They probably weren't even mechanical. Like there was probably just some Guy old with man a underneath. A couple of gears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they had like crazy stuff like that because there was tree. By this point, like as you move into like 1901 or that, there was tree parks there. Uh, Steeplechase, Luna Park and one called dreamland although dreamland came a bit later and that was like the insane one that had yeah ridiculous rides but the steeplechase had the blowhole theater pretty much what it was you you did if you were, if it was your first time on the island you wouldn't know what it was so it looks kind of like a haunted house and when you go in the entrance to it all of a sudden these midgets yeah. not politically correct now but that's what they called them then who would like just torment people that walked in there and <laughs> the the floor like air would be shot up through the floor and women would have their dress blown up and then did notice in front of them there was an entire audience and so when you come in and that happens to you then you go and sit in the audience and you get to laugh at the next person oh, okay. that comes in which was kind of a gene because it's such a that's the I mechanics really wish of you that, wore underwear that day. <laughs> but the mechanics of that ride is so simple but apparently like it was huge and like that's where they figured out wow well, you can actually people like to be entertained by each other that Do you, you know don't what? need all the we're putting that one on our coney island that won't yeah. cost much we could build that ourselves oh yeah but and the same i think it was the same guy then when he like he came to that conclusion that yeah people just want to be entertained by each other and also if you came on a date it was very flirty and like the guy oh, yeah. got to see the girl's skirt being blown up and all this oh yeah on your first date yeah. and that's where and so they started the mechanical hearse race which looks insanely dangerous because like 
Ju- ju- just to clarify for our audience, that's Johnny's pronunciation of horse. It's just he can't help it. He's from Offaly. So back to Flopsy, Topsy, Topsy. Sorry, this is like last week where you got the name of the podcast wrong. <laughs> so uh, Paul Byton sold Sea Line Park because that wasn't doing too well. Couldn't compete with Steeplechase and all that. So these guys, Frederick Thompson and Elmer Dundee, bought it and they turned it into Luna Park. And they were famous. They had this ride called the Trip to the Moon. But they took over what they done. They took over Byton's Park and turned it into Luna Park. And so they just inherited Topsy. With the park, oh, right, essentially, okay. but she, but they used her like they as advertising. They used her to uh, build the park. Not really, but they'd get picture of her carrying logs oh, and stuff. Okay, so yeah, they used yeah. her for promotional purposes, and they like done an insane. Again, Edison comes back into it. Edison worked with them on the park, and they had two hundred and fifty thousand lights in the park. Wow! For so, and that's like what nineteen oh one or something, nineteen oh two maybe pretty impressive they called it an electric eden yeah and so when topsy comes in this she had the same handler this guy william alt came along with her he i don't know why why he was doing handling the elephant because he sounds like a mess of a man he accidentally stabbed topsy with a pitchfork trying to get her to like pull an amusement ride accidentally stabbed. accidentally stabbed her but she went a bit nuts but didn't hurt him or anything the police still got involved and <laughs> alt didn't like this so he turned Topsy loose <laughs> and, <laughs> and just allowed her to roam free through the streets. And like, there's still like a few residential areas in yeah, in, yeah. in uh, Coney Island that like it's still really dangerous because apparently because he was drinking. That sounds like <laughs> a very serious drinking problem. Now I'm not sure how how true this is, but some reports say that he got really drunk once and rode rode Topsy into the police station. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to believe that. <laughs> That's genius. I'm not sure how you ride an elephant into a police station. Like it has to be. Yeah, he get through the door. But apparently he did, and I choose to believe it. But yeah, the the handler was fired after that, <laughs> as you can imagine, <laughs> and without anything else to do. That's like, a man after my own heart. I would, I would love nothing more to ride an elephant into a, a police st- or anywhere. Just ride an elephant. The only way you could top it is that you're naked as well, with like a bottle of whiskey or vodka or something in your hand, being like, woo! I imagine that's like, maybe he wasn't naked, but he had to have a bottle of whiskey in his hand. If he's drunk enough to ride an elephant into a police station. You're still drinking. (laughs) But um, without him, Thompson and Dundee didn't really have anything to do with Topsy, because Topsy was trouble, and no, no other trainer could handle her. So, yeah, they announced on maybe... January 3rd or that like really like the day before yeah that they were going to execute her essentially put her down they were going to hang her was what they originally announced and did you hang an elephant before yeah and did you hang an elephant before yeah well and they were going to charge 25 cents a head wow to, uh, that's a lot as well for for people to watch but the what did you call it ASPCA stepped yeah, yeah. in and said, you can't, you can't be hanging an elephant. Yeah. Find another way. Meanwhile, we talked about the War of Currencies going on. In in the, yeah, it was like the 1880s. We talked about already. Edison oh, yeah. tells this, us. This was CD versus Laserdisc, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah. To explain it better, like a, a direct current is a current that runs continually in a single direction. And direct current is 
not easily converted to higher low voltages so tesla believed the alternating current was the solution to this problem but edison didn't want to lose royalties on on his dc yeah so like even like he would he knew ac would have been the better way but it was just about he 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 owned the rights to his one so he wanted that to become the dominant so he set out to prove how dangerous ac was and he done that by executing animals (laughs) essentially (laughs) And and that's how the story is always told. That Edison just comes in as a solution. The ASPCA wouldn't let the boys hang the elephant because it was too cruel. And so Edison wanted to prove a point, but that's it's not entirely true. Edison had electrocuted, or fifteen years prior, to, he had executed plenty of animals to demonstrate yes. everything that people say in that story. But the war of the currents was over ten years before Topsy was executed. Oh, okay. It is true that the Edison Edison Electric Light Company, it was engineers from there to execute Topsy. Edison had no part in the Edison Electric Company anymore either. He had oh, been okay. bought out. Like, it's the same as people, if, if Marvel Entertainment done something stupid now, it'd be like people blaming Stan Lee for it. Like, yeah, he hasn't yeah. been in the company <laughs> okay. in years. Edison had little to no, more likely no involvement in Topsy's execution. Yeah. Just the, the company that bore his name did. So it's not like he was like, I know, I've never electrocuted an elephant before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he had to execute. Although apparently Edison was actually really against capital punishment. And again, like, and this could be as untrue as the stuff saying he executed Topsy. But apparently he was. And somebody had contacted him about using AC to, to kill a prisoner. Uh, William Kemmler, he, he murdered his wife with an axe or something. And Edison didn't want to, until he was eventually convinced, and he thought, oh, you know what, this would actually be more humane. Oh, yeah. And so as a solution to hanging people and that, he, he done it. And that was like the first electrocution. Electric chair. Yeah, or oh, electric right. chair, yeah. Oh, wow. So Edison was behind that. I don't know if it's true that he was opposed to it. Also, the and like he wasn't even the um, Edison Film Company was... Whoa. Where it was it just the same company? Whatever the film ended up was called. Like he wasn't even involved in that. He had recorded yeah. loads of films at Coney Island, but he wasn't personally involved with the recording of the film either. The first recorded execution as well. So <laughs> was the that? first stuff snuff movie <laughs> was an elephant. Yeah, it just it's funny you mention it because the original plan to execute Topsy, as ridiculous as it sounds, they they had they they've hung elephants in America too. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> it had been done before. Yeah, like there was an L in uh, Irwin, Tennessee. I only remember the name because, but um, yeah, there was this murderous Mary, and apparently it's the same story where, well, kind of where there was some like the guy that was put in charge with her wasn't fit to look after her at all, oh, and yeah. he accidentally hurt her and she crushed her head, and the circus that was torn with her, they they were torn Tennessee. The other towns, like the you know, again ridiculous oh, stories spread, read yeah. that like she like threw him up in the air with her tusk, and as he landed, he fell on the tusk, even though she was a, a fem- female. Asian oh, no tusks. Yeah, they don't have tusks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so other towns wouldn't let her in or let the circus in if the so oh, yeah. the circus owner decided he'd kill her, and this Ir- Irwin, Tennessee, volunteered to hang her, and they hung her for from a train, or from a train from a crane. Yeah, apparently the train it didn't work at first. It broke, and she fell and broke her spine, Ugh. and then they reattached it and hung her again. It's absolutely horrible, but I have to, I have to show you the image from it. At that point, just shoot the thing. Like, it's yeah, fine. Like, it's 
like it's I laughed a little at but I'm not laughing at an elephant being hung by a crane in Irwin, Tennessee because that's horrible and so cruel but I'm just laughing at the concept of people doing it the idea of trying to do something like, that, like the weight of an elephant size of an elephant oh it's a ridiculous image isn't it is that an actual photo or is yeah, it a, a better artist impersonation we'll put these up on the website uh, well that's Topsy and a bit of the hanging of Mary uh, so they just electrocuted her there in front of all the audience and yeah I have I have the video here in front of me so I'm gonna watch it it's Shane's reaction now there's a disclaimer explaining they're saying it was wanted to show as dangerous between uh, AC and DC see that's what you'll always see it as that that's this says the 36 year old elephant was killed by greedy Thomas A. Edison mm. it's bullshit like uh, the alternating current had completely taken over like even Edison was using alternating current at this point yeah commentary track on Thomas yeah, A. Edison's exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh there's smoke yeah like it, it's horrible oh looking. apparently it took less than 11 seconds so at least yeah that is she just sort of paused awkwardly twitching as smoke came out of her feet and well, they just fell over to be honest like I'm glad and she and only then stiff it's like uh, oh no she's twitching a bit though. yeah we're gonna share this as bad as it is, like twitching loads. Looks like she's still alive. But then but it was probably a lot better than hanging her and breaking yeah. her spine like the other elephant. Yeah, like I think Mary got worse. So I think we should move on to. Uh, there's a short story there about Bishop Stone Wig and living with the New Guinea cannibals. Yeah, in our, uh, headlines. Well, this is this kind of part of a few things. I, I noticed that this sort of month in January of 1903, there was like two or three stories. Uh, about cannibalism what, or, or what? we always have to have a cannibal story it seems to be a recurring <laughs> theme sorry I'm just trying to find it now because I need you to yeah this thing one of these now is way too long so we're just oh, going yeah. to have Shane read it off we're going to pause and let him read and then we'll put it up for you to read and we'll go through it just in case you're too lazy yeah no it's weird the first one I came across was from January 15th but then I came I'm going to include this one it comes way earlier it's from January 2nd 1903 yeah it's, it's just because this struck me so odd. There's no information online about this. I can't find out who the people were, anything. And it's just, just like 10, 10 words in this article. It's just like something that came down a wire. like yeah. And they printed it. It's like, Natives captured Fort Bonnie, a Belgian station on the Uganda frontier, killing and eating Lieutenants de Mangi and Carty. And that's it. <laughs> that's the only oh information God. about it. That's all there is about it. Yeah, and then... the. The other story from a South Australian newspaper. Bishop Stonewig. Yeah, this is from The Advertiser on January 15th. And this is a scan, again, we've explained before, but the scans, some words are blurred out. So I've, I've kind of made a lot of guesswork here and just left out stuff. But it's scanning old papers from the time. They... So it pretty much goes, the right reverend. Uh, M.J. Stonewig, Bishop of New Guinea, delivered an address in the Sydney domain on Sunday afternoon. It was a novel experience for crowds of people who visited the recreation ground to see Bishop there. Referring to the mission, the Bishop said that cannibalism was still a real thing in New Guinea, and not simply a yarn spun by missionaries part of a skull. I don't, like, that's just one of the words that came up wrong with the yeah. title read, but it just sounded funny. But anyway, the, the details of which were described by the bishop was excellent. He also said he would fight against superstition and ignorance. It was a terrible thing that in New Guinea, nobody could die a natural death. 
and then there's this huge passage about finance and it kind of just ends with the present market emission requires an income of five thousand pounds yearly and for certain extensions in work which are proposed an additional two thousand yearly will be required yeah there's just he's talking about finance for to try and prevent mm, yeah. this the rest of it doesn't really matter it, the story is just that he spoke of his experiences and then there's this other article and it's popped up much later this is from i think it's the same paper no it's not but this is from january 25th it's all i can't remember this is from a, a new zealand paper i think and heading to this story is a bishop among cannibals and i'm just going to get you to read this so i read that then and yeah, there's not much really to say about it other than it seems like a weird experience. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Be it's like he, he had a he had a mad uh, time there, and of course tried to slap his Christian values into these <laughs> savages a bit. Although he doesn't like he he seems I know he's quite, quite likable in it. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's fine. He's not. He's no no carry nation. No, <laughs> he um, didn't bring his whackers with him. I'd like smashers to carry nation with cannibals. Uh, be a good crossover. <laughs> now, there's a movie. But yeah, it seemed like he was kind of trying to dispel some some stuff about like the the fear of these the, the savages as they'd call yeah, them. Yeah. But also kind of encouraging some of it too. It's kind of weird. Maybe he was just coming from a place of honesty. Then I don't know. Yeah, where it's kind of brutal honesty versus uh, things like as I was saying to you reading it there is like you know the, to us that of or of the time is that kind of almost cartoon depiction of two English explorers in a giant pot surrounded by savages with. You know, big like fish bones going through their nose, or like a bone going through their nose, and then you know, the explorers are like, "I think we have ourselves in a spot of bother here." And yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. that real kind of depiction of that's how cannibals were, and they just ate their enemies or people who came onto their island or whatever. Yeah, and uh, like that's yeah, you had this like Hollywood invention. Well, I blame Hollywood for everything. It actually, goes back to literature from the time yeah, as well, yeah. where they painted that picture of them. You know, everybody uh, there was all these. West Indies tribes that were going to eat you if you landed on their beach. Yeah. And then now everybody kind of knows that was a, a, an invention of fiction now, to the extent where they don't believe that there was any cannibals. And, oh, yeah, and then like, that's not true either. Yeah, but, it's gone too far. <laughs> we know better, Johnny. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that the the island of Carabas is where that's the, the word cannibal comes from. Oh, okay. People say it's like the word carabus is what spawned cannibal but they sound not alike <laughs> i think it's that yeah. the islanders their word for person is carabana or carabina i can bear i can't pronounce french words i'm not going to be able to oh. pronounce <laughs> i can see that being the the spawning of the word cannibal i mean so it was like they were more it was rituals and yeah well i like in in new guinea a lot of it's religious there's different is it honoring the dead and that kind of stuff or is it or dishonoring your enemies is that the it idea? well it really depends on the tribe like they come by in new guinea they they're the real famous one like the treehouse people like they, they've had long accusations of cannibalism and stuff but they were more likely like feared cannibalism and like there was other tribes headhunters and that's why they built that's why they were treehouse people to actually get away from cannibals and they believed like the even here here in horror movies this some guy which is like a, a demon and yeah they had a fear of this demon who would eat the organs of villagers and then stuff them with grass and send them back to the village as like a zombie 
Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and like, uh, like devoured their soul. But the Kumbai people, they believed that the only way to sort of prevent s- that from happening, not to prevent it, to save the person who comes back soul was then by eating him. Yeah. So like that's where their cannibalism comes from. A very weird. Yeah, there's others like the Kurawai people in New Guinea. I, uh, these are all in New Guinea, but different regions. Like some of them are in the highlands and other sides yeah. of islands. They were kind of the same. Had pretty much the same beliefs, but they weren't discovered until the seventies. And apparently, they were like government kind of suggested to to the, those clans to encourage the whole cannibalism, oh, for tourism yeah. trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the Kumbai people, their one was really weird. But the Brazilian ones are the ones that come across as really horrible. Oh, okay. No, not not that they're horrible. They they're just the ones that have really brutal like, and it's still it's all war rituals. Like it's only like eating your enemy to prove a point and stuff. Yeah, actually, there was a guy Hans Staden. He was a German uh, soldier, and he got shipwrecked, and he was captured by the Tupai people in Brazil in like fifteen twenty one, or later. Now, actually, sorry, I'm confusing dates with something else, like fifteen fifty. And according in his account, he said like he was carried into the village, and they were going to kill and eat him, but he befriended the chief, <laughs> <laughs> and they apparently <laughs> let him go. There you go. Yeah, so you just don't insult them. How do you how do you befriend the chief of a cannibalistic tribe in the Amazonian rainforest? I'd say there must be a sexual favor involved there. He's like, I'll show you how the French <laughs> do it. <laughs> but there is places where, like in Papua New Guinea, the, there was evidence discovered on an island there of headhunting where they found apparently ten thousand skulls, human wow. skulls in the houses of villages. Showed the signs of being boiled or something with like that. Yeah, what do you call the thing? The big long, the tower, the long. Is it long? A totem. Hand? It's like a totem, but it's bigger. Like it's a room. I think it's just called a longhouse, maybe. Oh, okay. But yeah, and like decorating that. Can't remember the name of the people, but again, like missionaries went there, and two ministers and ten missionary students were murdered and cannibalized by the natives. It seems uh, that's the missionaries but they're seeing <laughs> these strange people coming onto their island like the white man and it's like they don't even haven't been contacted before maybe they don't know what they know who these people yeah, they, are they're odd unusual it's like aliens coming to us we well, just shoot them I'm, yeah imagine culturally and physically and stuff they, to them they're just so strange they mightn't even consider them as being human the Gorabari tribe that's who they were actually. But, and, and they killed these ministries and then it, it was like uh, Australian missionaries and they sent to to investigate they sent over some people from the royal navy or whatever and the guys just attacked the boat the natives and then they just opened up fire on the natives and killed like eight of them so <laughs> it's the exact same thing yeah. <laughs> could like, be in their way saying hello but like we yelling say, and screaming and holding like your spear somebody. somebody invading their you see somebody invading your country you attack them <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that's yeah, all yeah. the so had like, it been the other way around had yeah, all these a cannibals arrived on the beach of your <laughs> yeah. country. You start shooting them. That goes, goes both ways. Like yeah, exactly. Um, but right. one of the thing, the reason you hear a lot of, or one of the main reasons I'd say that cannibalism was apparently so popular back in olden times was Queen Isabella made a ruling that, and it's in like fifteen o three, that only people who were better off under slavery could legally be taken as slaves. And cannibalism was seen as, oh, if you've resorted to cannibalism, like, you're worse, it's worse than slavery. 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, like that was the um, incisive. You had a hundred years then of Spanish colonization where they're just wanted slaves and like that was just an easy oh, oh well, they're, okay. they're cannibals so oh, be better, better make them slaves they're better yeah. slaves there's always some <laughs> really quickly uh, you know james jameson the heir to the jameson whiskey yeah, yeah. And, and former mayor of christ church in the 1880s he was touring africa and he bought uh, an 11 year old slave girl bought an 11 year old girl and brought her to a cannibal tribe and fed to them so as he could sketch it yeah that, that that's messed up <laughs> wow <laughs> i don't know if i have words about that like that's yeah <laughs> yeah it was in the congo to be like that's another yeah i mean we could talk about different cannibal tribes <laughs> for forever but yeah, yeah there's plenty of sources online yeah so onto something more light-hearted we had in our headlines there is harry houdini the uh, the escapist and uh escapologist uh, escape, sorry, escapologist. Yes. During this fortnight, he, sp- he was in Amsterdam and he performed a big show at the Rembrandt Theatre. And then a couple of days later, he demonstrated by escaping from the local jail. Now, here's the thing: I couldn't find anything about that story. Absolutely nothing. But I found an article, just a general article about his jail escapes uh, around the time. And they talk about escapes he did in, say, 1904 and that kind of stuff. But that specific escape from that specific jail, I couldn't find a single article about it. Just the headline that he did it and nothing else about it. So his big his big classic thing was people putting him in multiple pairs of handcuffs and then him getting out of them and that kind of stuff. I found on this, on this website that, unfortunately, it's kind of badly written, but it kind of gives... It doesn't say what the escape is or, or where it was. Just that in 1904, he presented himself to a chief constable to arrange a private display later in the week, but the commander unexpectedly asked him to try it and do it right there and then. And this is, this is so interesting to hear this. He, he was marched off to a cell, stripped of his clothes, which were then placed in an adjoining cell, which was then triple locked. His cell was thoroughly searched, and then the door was triple locked as well. At a Houdini's request, all the cells in the corridor were also locked, and the iron gate at the front of the step was secured with a seven-lever lock. To the surprise of everyone present, Houdini joined them in the bottom corridor a mere five minutes after being locked in. In this short time, he had gotten out of his cell, opened the other cell, retrieved his clothes, and then opened all the other cells that they made him <laughs> that he got them to lock. And he had bust through the iron gate, and then the chief constable gave him a certificate <laughs> of, like... An award to say you're amazing and then in and he did loads of escapes in liverpool and in washington and famously escaped from in washington murderers row where he proceeded to open the doors of eight other cells and shuffle the prisoners around and swap them so they when the guards came around again the prisoners were all in the wrong cells <laughs> which is just so impressive it's just like just to mess with them like and apparently how he how he did this was he used to go and visit the prisons and then be like, oh, can I look at the keys? I, I want to like look at them, like see how your locks work. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how. And he would keep like a, like a lump of wax in the palm of his hand. And he'd take and impressions he- of the keys and make copies. And he'd smuggle the keys in, in various different ways. Sometimes he'd fix keys with like adhesive wax in his wiry hair. Like he'd hide keys in his hair. Sometimes he'd have a key on his possession and would sit down on a bench, like in the prison cell. 
and stick it under the bench and then they'd search him and they wouldn't find it and then he'd just like retrieve it again yeah uh, he put them in the soles of his feet and then he had a really really clever one which I think is amazing it's, this is genius he'd create keys his keys that the end of them was a little hook and he'd hook them to the belt of the person who was searching him <laughs> And so then they'd search him and they go, he's got nothing on him. And then he'd just take the key back. <laughs> I think that's it actually in like one of the Oceans movies. <laughs> yeah, um, but that is just genius. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, like, the on other ones all sound like stuff. Like nowadays, they're, they're what you'd be looking for nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, actually like putting what you're hiding onto the person searching you. Yeah. Is, that's really clever. And on one occasion, he declared defeat, put his hands through to give a handshake to the guard and while shaking hands with the guard with his other hand stole the key and escaped <laughs> um, and on another occasion he his wife rushed into the cell at the last minute and gave him a big passionate kiss giving him the key from her mates to his mates <laughs> <laughs> so, like just loads of these mad like crazy scenarios where you could come up with them and stuff. but it's really interesting so it was it was very hard to find anything about one specific escape, but that's the information you can find about general But he escapes. was doing, like, it seems like through his career, like, he was doing something every day that it's probably impossible to inf- that, to find. That's that's what I seem to see, yeah. Like, any, oh, anywhere, he, was, he just toured. Yeah, constant. and Just constantly. If he, wasn't, and, if he wasn't actually performing, he was, like, doing a ghost hunts and sitting in a seances and just outing people as charlatans, like, and writing yeah. about it. He, he was... Yeah. And he's wrote loads of books. Like he's just yeah, he's just somebody that yeah. just worked his entire life. He was a big messer. <laughs> so, uh, this is a really good one. I like this one. Is in Boston City Prison, he managed to es- escape handcuffs and his cell, then scale a, the prison wall, and then reach a phone that was half a mile away, and then phone the prison superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> and he did this all in a twenty in twenty minutes. Wow. So before they even realized he was missing from his cell, he phoned them from half a mile away. <laughs> this is like, that's incredible <laughs> now that was much later than uh, 1903 but still it's a good lad though yeah yeah and we'll have a good bit more of him as well he's gonna he's gonna come up again definitely because once like, it's just I don't know why 20s did he die in the twi- late 20s or 30s maybe um, I think it was 30s um, I had it on when I went to that website I, I thought it was I think it might have been early I think it was like 25 26 I just took bullet points from that website. I don't have that. You always hear he died doing a, a stunt. Yeah. But it's not true. Died of appendicitis. Yeah, I remember hearing that before. It's just, yeah, it, it did happen. He was performing while he had it. And he used to but do that's that. not what... The stunt wasn't what killed him. It no, was. but there's some reason. Like, he used to do that famous... David Blaine still does it. David Blaine done it. I think, like... What, uh, oh, is this the drowning man, is it? No, no. It's no. pretty much getting punched in the stomach repeatedly by... Uh, Houdini used to do it with all these prize fighters. David Blaine done it on his special with... I think it was Rampage Jackson, but I'm probably wrong. But some UFC fighter and just has no impact on him. And before that show, just some fans came looking for autographs and asked if they could do it. And Houdini let them, because they were just guys like us. And like after three... <laughs> hey, can we take a photo of us punching you in the After stomach? like three photos, Houdini was just like, okay, no more. And it was the only time it ever affected him. Yeah. And so that's why people think he, he died as from that stunt. When people talk, when David Blaine done it, people talk. I remember reading articles where they were saying like, oh, he's trying to show off by performing a, a stunt that killed Houdini. And it's like, it just happened, Houdini 
had stomach problems. <laughs> like, I've I've had my appendix out. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to be punched <laughs> while while that's going on either. Died in 1926 you know, yeah. on Halloween. Now I could have been completely wrong about all that. It's been a while since I've read up on Eugene, but <laughs> yeah. I t- I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah. Do you want to hear some other items? Yes, definitely. Yeah. We've another story in our headlines. Oh, but uh, that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's. You had. Yeah, no, that. That was just a headline story, isn't it? Well, that comes into the the other items. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. just hadn't prepared. Yeah, I I just thought I was going to surprise you with that one because it was funny. But here here's some other hunt for a grizzly. From the Los Angeles Herald, 14th of January. Yeah. This isn't quite Jaws. <laughs> a big grizzly bear in Trebocca Canyon above Santa Ana tin mines, 40 miles east of the city, has been causing considerable damage lately by raiding apiaries. Apiaries are like beehives, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think they're big ones. Who uh, wasn't stealing picketing baskets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, raiding apiaries in that vicinity to secure honey. Still close enough to be in a cartoon character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hunting parties have been formed repeatedly to run the bear down, but he has thus far escaped all efforts to capture him. After a disappearance for several weeks, the grizzly returned, and or the grizzly made his presence felt again last week by destroying a number of beehives and the bee ranchers of Trabaco's district Ark oh sorry the scan I don't I should have changed that Ark are now organising a hunt to prevent his further damages <laughs> and that's all that is but there's a this is like oh bother I need some honey <laughs> I wish I could read more articles these days about a bear like yeah. a hunt for a bear yeah this doesn't happen enough these days Oh, I've searched. That's a, like it sounds perfectly legit and all, but it's just it's something from seeing so many cartoons over my life. It just <laughs> seems so silly and ridiculous. Yeah. Killed by a stump puller. A what? A, st- a stump puller. You know, there's like, how I don't know how you really describe them. You know, the thing to take up like st- tree, tree stumps. stumps. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Tra- yeah. So uh, January thirteenth. It's from the Los Angeles Herald too. Uh, Charles Davis was accidentally killed about five o'clock this afternoon on the Lewis Mooring Place. Uh, not Lewis Moore. I looked him up. He was a contractor. Lewis Mooring, and that was the name of his building or whatever. But anyway, on the southwest of the city, while working with a stump puller machine, a ball broke, releasing the sweep, which struck him across the abdomen inflicting injuries that resulted in his death about half an hour later <sighs> yeah that sounds that sounds painful that's a bad way to go <laughs> so again the reason i include that that or falling on a toy soldier sword piercing your neck oh no that one's far worse yeah i, I think imagine that's, that's a much slower death well yeah that's disemboweling because <laughs> i think i can't remember but last week was it the the boy i think he it's I, i'm pretty sure he bled out in 20 minutes it said did yeah. it and this is, he died, this guy, Charles Davis, died half an hour after, so, boat still, long. Still long. It's like uh, Van Gogh famously shot himself in the stomach in a field, and then didn't die for like a week because of his wounds, because the stomach wound is like a slow, horrible death. Yeah. As I was like, the man loved suffering, <laughs> that's all I can say about him. It's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, because <laughs> the next story is suicide of a store clerk. Yeah, it's from January fourteenth. Uh, Jeff Jacob Livington, a clerk in a bonded warehouse, committed suicide today 
by shooting himself in the head three times with a revolver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but that's hilarious. How? <laughs> how do you how do you bring yourself to make a second <laughs> shot? Never mind a third. That just sounds like somebody killed him and then went, yeah, yeah, he killed himself. <laughs> shooting him in the head three times. Not to laugh at suicide, but just... It's the bizarreness of it that's funny, not the actual act. Yeah, deceased was 58 years of age and leaves behind a wife and two grown children. Who all took a shot each. No no <laughs> cause can be assigned for the deed. So, yeah, suicide's a terrible, terrible, sad oh, thing. But kill, shooting yourself with a revolver three times in the head. A recurring thing with this podcast will always be newspapers of the time who yeah. knows what was true yeah so this i think that's part of the fun of it that's probably been the most part of it researching stuff for this podcast is just that you read a headline and you go wow and then you read the story and you're like that's not what happened at all yeah and, uh, and then there's another here uh, murderous brothers one kills a town marshal and other fatally wounds his deputy this is from the chanuette daily tribune from kansas and this is kind of a weird one right so at a dance at Moorhouse, Missouri last night, James Andolphus Hill of Johnson County became drunk and created a disturbance. And Marshal Dan Lance and Deputy Marshal Taylor were called to restore peace. Dolphus Hill shot and killed Lance, while James Hill fatally cut Taylor. The Hill boys started to leave or started to leave the house when Taylor shot and wounded one of them, but they succeeded in making their escape. Searching parties have been organised, but the murderers have thus far not been found. It's like, I shot the marshal and my brother shot his <laughs> deputy. <laughs> yeah, I think stabbed. Yeah, and I tried, because that, that was, I want. I really wanted to find out what happened as a yeah, result yeah. of that. Were they ever found? I really tried hard to find this out. I went scrolling through like prison records and stuff, yeah. couldn't find any. So in 111 years... They were never found. Now, there is, to for to officially get prison records, you have to be an American citizen, so I couldn't do that. Oh, and you have to pay, it's like... Yeah, yeah. But, like, there's other... Uh, for, you know, this is 100-plus years old. I think over yeah. 75, they're public. But, like, there was different sites, like community sites and stuff. All I could find was on the Officer Down memorial page, they had Dan Lance, the, the marshal listed, okay. uh, and cause of death and date. But on the, the suspects and that, they had a completely blank. But I still, I'd done some digging, and, it, like, and I can't verify this. But from what I can gather from pieces of information I put together is that the this article might be a bit wrong. What actually happened, like, the two the two brothers, Dolphus and, what was it, James? They did create a disturbance in the party, and the police did, the uh, marshal and deputy were called, and they just kicked them out. And then later that night, the brothers came back. And oh, and went after the... No, no, they just were stealing crates of beer or kegs from the back, yeah. and the deputy and the marshal, they just happened to spot this and give chase, and that's where the altercation happened, so... Oh, so it wasn't all like yeah it wasn't time. as as epic as it sounds in that article it sounds like they were killed over uh protecting a, a keg of beer maybe yeah, yeah or but that story might not but either one of those versions is what happened but i mean you don't know if they ever got caught That's bad. i well either way i don't think they did it seems like they didn't that the guys got away changed their names and moved to the next state well the story you you were talking about going with there was lieutenant governor tillman shoots political foe <laughs> this is from the New York Times on January 15th, so just just yesterday. 
and this is a, an exact copy, but it's just phrased really weird. Where it's Columbia editor is ser- seriously wounded by high official, Mr. Gonzalez, who had bitterly denounced the nephew of Senator Tillman, shot down in the street without warning. N.G. Gonzalez, editor of the state and widely known throughout the South, is at the Columbia Hospital in a critical condition as, as a result of a pistol wound inflicted by James H. Tillman, Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina. The shooting occurred on Main Street, just at the intersection of Gervais Street, in full view of the state capitol, a few <laughs> minutes before two o'clock. That's a messed up story. <laughs> That's a <laughs> governor shooting a, a newspaper editor. A lieutenant governor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and like this, that was a huge thing at the time, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it was deemed crime of the century and all that. So Gonzalez was the son of a Cuban revolutionary, Ambrosio Gonzalez. And he started a newspaper with his brothers. So, yeah, they weren't nobodies. Um, yeah, yeah. Not in politics anyway. And then you had... James Tillman, who his father was, well, we can get to him. Benjamin Tillman was, actually that relates to stuff we talked about earlier too. But yeah, so Jim Tillman, when he came on the political scene, Gonzalez was, or Gonzalez was pretty harsh on his dad. And so when Jim came on, shared his distaste with the son as well. Or sorry, not his son, nephew. Jim, he, this was the nephew of Benjamin Tillman. Yeah, so neither of them liked each other. So on January 15th, 1903, Gonzalez was just walking up Main Street, leaving his office and heading for home. And as he approached the corner of Main Street, across the street from the state house, he happened to encounter his political rival, James Tillman. With a pistol. <laughs> well, yeah, and he was, Tillman was serving the last day in office. So, I mean, if you're going to shoot... You went out with a bang. It's a good day, like... Um, yeah, he was serving his last day as governor and he was just standing with a few colleagues and uh, like they were going to lunch and Gonzalez just passed the three men and without any like he was just walking by paying no attention didn't provoke them from what eyewitnesses says and Tillman just spotted him and he just drew the pistol out from under his waist a Luger pistol and yeah he just shot Gonzalez in the belly there and then wow belly shot again horrible way Gonzalez when he fell down apparently he shouted <laughs> Shoot me again, you coward. (laughs) (laughs) That is is a man. Yeah. Now, newspapers at the time went, like, the day after it, and that's why it's phrased that way in the opening. Yeah. But his injuries have have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. I found articles, like, I found a few who were like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, and it was all in good fun. Uh, Gonzalez died 40 (laughs) days later of the wound. So (laughs) it was pretty. And uh, Tillman was acquitted of murder by a 12-man jury in Lexington County. Apparently, they'd done a lot of things as well to make sure he had... I don't think there was any Cubans on his jury. Like, Oh, yeah, okay. And the his, the defence made the case that Gonzalez's ferocious indictments of Tillman's character was just cause for the shooting. Wow. And, yeah, a jury supported that. That's crazy. I just want to briefly mention, because his father was... Benjamin Tillman, and yeah. considering we, we opened with uh, an awful period of time where racism was that rampant, uh, might as well yeah. end with it too. Uh, Benjamin Tillman was an American politician, and he was the governor of South Carolina, and a state senator from like 1895 to 1918, and again, member of the Democrat Party, and uh, a staunch white supremacist. Like, wow. Uh, yeah, like, his father owned like 50 slaves, 
and he took part in have you ever heard of the Hamburg Massacre no it's just it's like this small town in South Carolina and it was like a prominently like it was an all black town and yeah. a Republican town and I don't know what the neighboring town was but there was two like two white men from a neighboring town trying to pass through with wagons and on that day the people from Hamburg were doing a, a military test operation you know, their own militant group because they needed them yeah. and they wouldn't let the wagons through and it created this huge deal between the but whites and the blacks <laughs> but it was like oh for public safety we can't let you through and they're like well I think it was no they were like this is our town we're busy we're in the middle of something yeah, yeah. find another way yeah then uh, a white militia pretty much attacked the town and uh, Benjamin Tillman led one of the yeah, they killed. They yeah. killed like seven people in battle. Lynched four afterwards. I think. He, I think one of them might have been white, and he continued throughout his career like he was a proud white supremacist. But not only was he a white supremacist, well, it, maybe it goes with it. But he was very. He, he supported lynch law, yeah, which was not just the death penalty. That's lynch law is not the death penalty. Lynch law is that you know if a mob of people deem that you deserve to be hung. Well, then it's okay. You don't need to go to court. Yeah. And pretty much if a bunch of white people... They are a jury of your peers. They yeah. judged you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so he supported that. So, yeah, not a nice guy. So, like... And his nephew seemed... I mean, he shot a editor of a newspaper in the belly <laughs> and killed him. Like, they seemed... In like, the middle of Main Street. Actually, not to get... Not to stay being bleak is all hell, but... Sure, so you you opened with a, a story like this, but uh, this week, this week alone, there yeah. were four lynchings in the wow. United States in 1903. Well, kind of this week, four between the 10th and the 19th, seven in January altogether. Between January 1st and July 1st of this year, 1903, yeah. 48 men lost their lives at the hands of lynch mobs. That's crazy. Yeah, and the the South can claim 44 of those. Just to stay going, we're, we're <laughs> on to a terrible thing. Uh, between okay. 1882 and 1968, 3,500 African Americans and 1,300 whites were lynched in the United States. Most um. most between 82 and 1920. And Benjamin Tillman supported, like he he was I have no words <laughs> to uh, respond to that I'll make you feel better really quick okay yeah because this is even called a chance to smile oh very good is and this from a paper yeah from the San Francisco call January 14th 1903 what causes heat and cold Pa the janitor my son <laughs> <laughs> these are jokes from 1904 Shane <laughs> <laughs> excellent <laughs> First English Lord, did you propose to Miss Porkpacker? Second English Lord, no, to her father. I hate to have any business dealings with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Chugsy, Chugsy, I don't know what. <laughs> Miss Chugsy, I notice, dear, that the papers say the Thanksgiving turkey crop will be almost a total failure. Mr. Chugsy, thank goodness, that lets me out of carving. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I like your. Plan. You were waiting for me to let you know when the joke was over. over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's no way to tell. 
Say, Paul, how do you... <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered it. Say, Paul, how do astrom- astronomers always know when there is going to be an eclipse? Why, you stupid. Don't you suppose they read the same papers as everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And one more is from the same paper. Same paper. Sends his toys to a little leper boy. A lad, six years of age, sent a package of toys yesterday to Lucian Cullen, a little leper lad at 26th Street Hospital. A letter accompanying the package, which weighs about 50 pounds, says in letters printed by Huttington himself, I am a little boy, six years old, and I am going far, far away to New York to live. I have heard all about you, and I told my mother I wanted her to send you my toys. I hope you will like them. Goodbye. So there's a nice bit oh, of that. <laughs> that is nice. And that's the news of nineteen of January 16, 1903. Well, it's been uh, yesterday's news today. We'll talk to you again in a, a new week, in a new year. See you in the future. Goodbye. You went see you in the past. Oh, sorry. That's, no, that's a fine <laughs> Subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, and tune in to us every Friday for more of Yesterday's News Today.